Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Jeff Buck. Happy Sunday morning, Calvary Monterey. So glad to be with you. I am Pastor Jeff Buck. I am filling in for our, our lead pastor today who's away and glad to have Bible study with you. A couple of things I wanted to mention that I am participating in. August 28th, you've been hearing about the marriage conference. So one day, 8.30 to 12.30 p.m. morning, right till noon, and it's uh, going to be taught by our eldership. So we encourage you to put that Saturday aside, bring your spouse along and come and learn about marriage. I also want to mention you'll be hearing more about this on September 20th, nine consecutive Monday evenings. I will be working on a series on Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey, a a wonderful series that helps us get our finances under control and to get debt reduced and out of our lives. And so just a little nugget there for September 20th, Monday evenings. I hope that you'll come out and join us for that. More information on that in the weeks to come. Uh, for now, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to just look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm taking this little text out of a beautiful book that I'm having the privilege of, of sharing on the Tuesday night Bible studies. I want to concentrate on this theme of looking up, having an eye toward heaven. It's something that I try to cultivate in my own life, and uh, I'm going to talk about that today. Follow along with me as I read Colossians 3, the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, verse 2, on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden and joined with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, the Greek says, when Christ, our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's take a minute to pray that God would unfold his word to us. Heavenly Father, we do bow the knees of our heart before your word, asking that we would become heavenly-minded people, who are still very much earthly good. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Having a heart for heaven, having a heart for the kingdom of heaven, as it says here, if you've been raised with Christ, now, if you are a, a Christian, a born-again Christian, then Christ died your death, was buried, rose again, because your sins have been cast away and forgiven. And when you receive Christ, you die with him, you're buried with him in water baptism, and then you are raised in a new spiritually motivated life so you can live for the things above. Now notice it says, 
the things above. Things is a very definite word. And when it says we look above and to the things that are above, we have to immediately think, well, those are not things I can see. I can't see heaven. I can't see angels. I I can't see God and his throne. And indeed, that's one of the great disciplines of the Christian life is we believe in things, literal things and in people and objects that we cannot see. From the earliest days of your Christian faith, you're walking this line of, I'm beginning to believe this amazing gospel message about Christ, and I hear about a trinity, a Father, Son, and Spirit, and I hear about heaven, but none of it is anything I can see, and I'm used to this time, space, world. Read it again, and let me try to help you apprehend this. If then you have been raised with Christ, you're born again, you're joined with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now we know from the book of Revelation and other places that Christ is seated at God's right hand. He will sit there and be guided by the Father in subduing this entire earth. All the enemies of God one day will have to confess allegiance to Jesus and and call him Lord. And he is sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews tells us he is interceding for us there. And so he says then, set your mind on the things above and not on things on the earth. That's such a hard thing to do. Last Saturday, I was working, uh, doing chores at my house. Saturday is chore day at the house and it's painting and cleaning and fixing and so on. And having had a wonderful, uh, quiet time, uh, very early, I, I wanted to do what Brother Lawrence talked about in the 14th century, practice the presence of God. And as I'm nailing and fixing and cleaning and all those things, I'm wanting to, to be very practically oriented and yet to have my eyes and my heart halfway on heaven, not just on the things below, the things above. And... Uh, you know, it just didn't work for me. I, I remember thinking about noon. You know, I don't think I've thought about the Lord since uh, I started my jobs and, and, you know, thought about the Lord. And, and it, it's just something that I aspire to, to practice the presence of God and to know his presence and to, as Romans eight fourteen says, be led by his spirit through my day. And uh, so often I just get caught up in what I'm doing, which is, good things, but uh, I'm, I'm challenged by this verse where it says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. It's not like I can stop all my earthly things. Uh, it's not like I can stop being a husband, stop being a dad, stop paying the bills and so on. All these wonderful things that in my personal life I so enjoy at the same time have to be balanced with my passion for God and his son and his kingdom. We'll see more about that as we go. And he says, for you have died. I I can tell you that the moment I became a Christian, my interest in certain things that I had been so passionate about, but may not have been the very best thing for me, without my trying to make this happen, things begin to die and fall off in my life. Things that I had wanted and craved 
began to be less interesting to me. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and that's true of you and me. We are here on a Sunday. We are wanting to learn about Christ and about God because our lives are, are tied up with them. We are connected with God. Our, our lives are safe and snug. We're hidden with Christ and God. And then we look forward to that day when Christ returns, referring now to the rapture, that moment where Christ uh, comes in, in the heavens. He comes down and actually all the, the dead saints the, 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 who have been now resurrected are, are in heaven, they come with him. And when Christ, our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. Those of us who have already died, we come back with Christ to welcome those who are then taken up from the earth in this thing we call the rapture. And either way, our lives are forever connected with God. And especially if we happen to be on earth when the rapture comes, uh, we go into the next invisible realm instantly with no preparation time and we appear with him in glory. But I love the little phrase there. It says, when Christ, our life, appears. I remember a guy preaching along on that one day, and he said, Christ is our life, not our emergency generator. He's our life. He's not just where we run when we're in trouble. Our lives are connected with God through Christ. Christ is our life. And the longer we go, then we we live on this earthly plane. We're passionate and we enjoy life more than all people because we're forgiven, because our sins have been cast away, and because we're learning to live lives that are pure and not self-destructive. Christ is our life, and one day he will appear. There's a verse also, if you turn to Psalm 73, that comments on this Wonderful passion for God, being connected and in love with God. I could quote it, but I'd like to read it to you and for you to look at it yourself. Psalm 73 and 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on the earth. And then he goes on to say, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When it says he's my portion forever, he's the thing that is presented to me like when you go to a restaurant and you order something and they, and they bring out the food and you look at that and you look at what kind of portion is this? Have they skimmed? Have they given me a good amount of food? Um, and you're happy when it's quality food and there's a lot of it. That's your portion and you're happy about it. But our portion in life is God. The most important portion you have is not how tall or how short or where you live or whatever. God is the portion of my life and my strength forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing I desire on earth more than you. That's the way we want to be. We want to be, back to Colossians 3, people that are that much in love with God and that connected to God. I remember years ago, uh, my mom was a Vermonter, and we were up in Vermont 
I guess we were visiting my grandmother at the time. But somehow my brother and I got sidetracked and we were visiting a very upscale private uh, university in Maryland, Southern Maryland, uh, Southern uh, Vermont. And um, I remember going into this dormitory, first time I'd ever been in a, uh, a boys or girls dorm, men or women's dorm. And uh, I'm looking around, and, and it's a co-ed dorm. So there are men's rooms, women's rooms, and, and co-ed rooms. And I'm looking at, at uh, all the pictures and uh, sayings and uh, things that people had pasted on their, their dormitory room doors. And I saw this one, which I still remember. I probably can't quote it verbatim. But I remember it was uh, from the cutting out of a um, grocery, grocery bag. It was a brown sack and scrawled in some kind of pen were words that were something like this. If I can't see it, if I can't feel it, if I can't smoke it, if I can't shoot it, or if I can't dance to it, and it used a profanity, blanket. And I, it just struck me. Here was somebody that was saying, and I wasn't a Christian, I was maybe 14, 15 years old, who was simply saying, I'm only interested in this physical world and in all the pleasures that I can get. I'm not interested in philosophy or theology or anything that I can't see. And it just struck me uh, with such intensity that someone was that earthly bound even before I became a believer. I want to go to one other passage, and that's Philippians chapter 3 right before Colossians, a beautiful passage, Philippians 3 and 17, talking about the idea of looking up, of being heavenly minded. He says in 317, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. That's good leadership. Good leadership is not just words the life of a leader as an example to his followers. For many of whom I have often told you before, and even now tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I wish I had time to unpack that. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Notice that's his summation of the problem of these people. Their glory is in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. But in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So much there, but notice our citizenship, our country, our place, our home is not an earthly one. It's in heaven. This was obviously real to Paul. Now, he was a citizen of Rome. He was a citizen of the greatest power on the earth at that time. But he looked beyond the emperor and he looked beyond the Roman roads and the, the currency and, and the, the grandeur of Rome. And he said, my citizenship 
is in heaven. I used to travel a lot in missions, and it was a, a really good thing in certain countries. I remember being in communist Hungary. Uh, I remember being several times in Cuba, Bulgaria, places that were a little bit dicey. But when you had a U.S. passport, it was rather unlikely that you were going to be ever kept there or jailed. Or It was because of your citizenship. And, and people all over the world would do anything, of course, for that U.S. passport. For us, we have a citizenship. We have a passport to heaven. And it has been given to us through the greatness of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. So, and I can imagine someone saying, yeah, and I remember this saying, hearing this saying growing up. Ah, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. How many times I heard that uh, sentence growing up? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I'd like to comment on that by talking about seven different things as we look to heaven that come down to us. The number one is answers. I don't have time to turn to it, but if you study Proverbs 2, 3 through 10, it, uh, it, it promises how uh, knowledge and wisdom and understanding and perspective and insight come to us in verses 3 and 10, it says, if you cry out for understanding, if you search for her as hidden treasure and seek for her, and then it says, then wisdom will come and insight enters your soul. The first thing that is so wonderful when we set our eyes on the things above is we get answers. We all have questions. We all wonder about practical and simple things. I remember living in a... Um, in my early years of ministry, living in a, a ministry house, an old sorority house, a four-story home where a number of us men lived in community. And this was the simplest thing, but uh, as I was bunking with a guy who was a co-elder and friend of mine, his name was Jim, uh, he, one night when I first began rooming with him, he went around and, and closed all the curtains and do the drapes and just try to get as dark as possible and put something across the crack under the door so it was just pitch black. And you know, as my eyes adjusted, I can see him over there and he's, he's lying there and he just really wants to go to sleep and he's got his eyes wide open. And I thought, why does he have a, he wants to go to sleep so badly? His eyes open. I said, Jim, why do you have your eyes open? You're supposed to shut your eyes when you're going to go to sleep. He said, you are? And I couldn't believe it. I said, yeah, when you're going to go to sleep, you shut your eyes. He said, I didn't know that. And he shut his eyes and had a great amount of sleep. Ah, that's so crazy. But I think probably in my life, answers have come so many times through counsel, through simple stuff, through complicated stuff. It's always bothered me as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, how I've known men who have given their lives for their flocks. Perhaps they were in small communities, sometimes large communities, but they just never had a, a large church and they'd have, you know, 20 people or 30 people or maybe get to 50. And then I serve under a pastor uh, years ago in um, Fort Lauderdale and there was, you know, 25,000 people. And I just, I 
struggled with that because I knew and I know today the sincerity and purity of, of these pastors in smaller churches. And one day I came across a book called Your Pastor, Your Shepherd, and it just made this simple statement. The voice of some shepherds can lead a flock of 20. The voice of some shepherds can direct and feed a flock of 100. And the voice of some shepherds directs, feeds, and leads thousands. And I thought that's true. It's not their physical voice. It's the, the gifting and the ability that God has placed in them that comes out their voice. And some people have the ability to lead a few and some many. And we are going to be judged upon what we did with the amount of people God gave us. And it, maybe it wouldn't mean anything to you, but for someone who struggled when I had smaller churches and blaming myself and wondering. And then I thought, you know, I just, I have the voice and the, the ability that God has given me. I'm going to rest in that and be absolutely faithful, whatever the size of my flock. It just changed my life. I had a knee surgery uh, last year and a, and a wonderful answer came to me uh, from uh, my physical therapist, Anya. And I was trying to decide, you know, I've got this new knee and, you know, how active am I going to be in my life? Am I going to have to like lead a more sedentary or a quieter life or, you know, baby that knee or whatever. And the last day I was in there, she, last event of my uh, physical therapy, she hands me this huge ball and she says, now hurl it against the wall and throw it and throw it repeatedly. It was really heavy. And now do it this way, do it that way. And uh, she said, The last thing she said to me was, she said, Jeff, you lose power before you lose strength. And I I could feel God speaking through her. I I know not to dramatize it, but I stopped her and said, what did you say? And she said, you lose power before you lose strength. As you age, ultimately you lose strength and there's just not a lot of reserve. She said, but concentrate now while you can on building power. Chop wood, throw balls, do violent stuff. Don't baby yourself because you'll lose power before strength. And that has guided my life in the months that she said that to me. So number one, answers come. Number two, direction comes. Direction comes. I don't have time to turn to it again, but actually I think I just will anyway. Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. One of the passages that I really enjoy is what's called the Macedonian call. And Paul is trying to figure out as he's going west through Turkey where to go next to preach the gospel. And he's like you and like me, seeking direction. Acts 16, 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And curiously, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia, when they came up to Mycenae, uh, they attempted to go into Bithynia, which was south, and the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia is standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Oh, I wish that God's direction for my life was always that clear. There's two kinds of direction. What God has and who God has for me. What does God have for me and who does God have for me? You know, in my, in my early life, the Lord made it very clear to me that I was to be a pastor. I was just to take care of people. And from age 18 until now, I'm 67, that's been a very clear sense in my life. But the Lord also made it very clear to me who was to be in my life. I waited until an open door, right as Paul waited, I waited until an open door came and the right woman came along. And being a person who does a lot of counseling, I cannot count the number of times a man or a woman has come into my office and said, I wasn't sure about this relationship, but the invitations were already printed or I'd already kind of met his family and felt I had to be committed. And they did not have the direction to the right who. Having the courage to wait until the who and the what or the open door is made clear to you. And when a door opens, you know it's open. You, you, you sense it's the thing to, to walk into. And of course, when you make that final commitment and you are married, then you look to heaven to constantly refresh and refill and renew that relationship like the marriage conference we're going to be doing soon. Answers come from heaven through looking up. Direction comes from heaven as we look up. And number three, similar to number two, a clear sense of destiny, of purpose, of meaning come into our lives as we look up. I think a sense of destiny outside of the joys of family has been the greatest blessing in my life. And I loved hearing Billy Graham's story about how he struggled in his early days, even in Bible college, with a, with a call to ministry. He really did not want to go into ministry. He wanted to go into business. And when he finally, uh, on a golf course one afternoon, knelt down at a, a stump of a tree and made it his altar and surrendered to the call to ministry, Soon thereafter, he began to have these little visions, mental pictures, dreams about large groups of people and stadiums and, 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 and movement to come forward to commit. And he didn't know what it all meant. Those kind of crusades were not well known in that time. But he was getting a clear sense as he went that his destiny was to be, as he put it, a little part of something great. I have a, a, a wonderful friend who's now with the Lord, but such a clarity about his purpose and destiny, which came to one day to him in prayer, very similar to what our pastor here at Calvary Monterey uh, shares as far as the call to, to be a pastor and to teach the word. And the Lord spoke through a prophecy to this particular man 
and said these words, I have called you as a teacher of the scriptures in truth and faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus for many. And that word, he had it memorized. I had it memorized because I heard him talk about it so many times. He had such a sense of destiny. But you know, earlier today, I had uh, to make an announcement in the women's Bible study, uh, actually uh, last uh, Thursday, I had to make an announcement and um, I just happened to be standing across from two women who were pouring their coffee and, and I, I know these dear sisters from church and obviously these women have a call to family. They both have uh, several children, multiple children, love their children, are energetic, involved in their community and in the church and their destiny, at least for this time, is to raise great kids. And how I would encourage all of you in, in your families to see part of your destiny is to be that husband, that father, that son, that daughter. Your destiny, your greatness can be in the stewardship of your family. So answers, direction, destiny, number four, and I'm going to read to you John 14, 13. Because the fourth thing that you've got to understand, the reality of which comes as we set our mind on the things of, home, of heaven, not on things of the earth. In John 14, we read these beautiful words. One day you will come into the Father's house, and in my Father's house are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, also in me. John 14, 1, 2, and 3. Very interesting that he calls it first rooms and then place. As I understand heaven, there will be a massive, huge, mile after mile after mile house, home, a place for our father. And just like when I used to go home and I stayed in a room in my father's house, one day, one day, one day, you will come into father's house, which we know as heaven. And there will be, and I'm not so sure that the translation of the King James, which says mansions is the correct one. There will be though a room and that word place is tapas from which we get topography done with maps. There is going to be a place for me. And I, I, I can't, I'm not a visual person. I can't see it. I can't picture it, but I feel it that one day there will be a room in father's house for me. You know, I'm not a computer geek at all, but one thing I do enjoy doing on the computer, I don't know if you're like this or not, is I like to, to play music with, uh, through YouTube and do, I watch YouTube videos. And it's very interesting. Sometimes I'll just plop down and, and Denise will be sitting across the room and I'll just give a little impromptu concert and I'll, without any plan in it, I'll play this thing and that thing and some secular, some sacred and, and just have a good old time doing it. And you know what's interesting is when I finally started looking at how many people watched particular videos and uh, there's a, a guitarist, Ed Sheeran. Some of you know of Ed Sheeran, pretty well known. 
And uh, he has a video. I don't recommend the video quite so much because it, uh, it's a bit of a sensuous dance. So I would just look at uh, the one that just has his face and the record and so on. 3.2 billion views for the song, We Found Love Right Where We Are. And I thought about that. Three billion people going to this song thinking about romantic love. And that's what the song is about. And I, I, I thought, that's incredible. But you know, there's, a, there's another song, and only 90 million people have watched this one. But it's the Mercy Me song, I Can Only Imagine. We hear that song in elevators, in malls, and there are multiple millions of people other than on the YouTube a video that listen to that song and they think about heaven. They think about seeing their loved ones that have gone on ahead. I'm with the 90 million rather than the 3.2 that see an eternal place and a home coming for us. The fifth thing, so important, write down this verse, will you? Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. The fifth thing that comes as we look up to heaven is comfort. Comfort. The Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. No one can comfort like God. No one can give you the sense of his arms around you, that everything's going to be okay. He's got everything taken care of than the comfort of God. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort is what Paul speaks of him. I recommend 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. My dad told me a story, speaking of, of heaven and comfort and so on, uh, of a dear Episcopal priest friend of his way back when, uh, when I was born in Massachusetts, my dad and mom and two brothers were living in Massachusetts. And in the, the next town, there was another Episcopal priest that uh, my dad knew, uh, John uh, Jack Sanford. And he was a, a godly man. His wife, Agnes, was an author. And uh, in his 80s, he was slowing down, having lived a, a godly ministry life, and came down one morning. His wife was already down, and he comes down the stairs, and he plops in his favorite stuffed chair. And he said, Agnes, you won't believe the the, the dream that I had. I dreamed that I was in my favorite chair and then at a certain time, I don't remember what the time was, you know, say 2.15 or whatever, the face of the clock on the mantle and I saw the time and then the face of this old clock opened up and in the face of the clock, I saw pastures and mountains and green and and suddenly I went from my chair and I went into the face of the clock and I was in obviously the green pastures of heaven and he was just so thrilled and his wife it was great and so they just took that as such a great comfort and you know the crazy thing happened is the very next day as he sat in his chair and fell asleep at that very hour that he had dreamed, he passed away. Can you imagine the comfort, the 
went to the widow in knowing that one day before they were assured. They were comforted that he was going to heaven. And I'll tell you something about comfort. There are so many times that we don't get specific answers to our questions. Sometimes we do, as I said in point one. But sometimes you don't get an explanation or an answer. But what you always get, if you look up to heaven, you get comfort. It's the Greek word parakaleo, which means to call to one side. You get his presence. You get a sense of his, his it's okay, comfort. And sometimes the thing we need most, even more than answers, is comfort. So there's answers, direction, destiny as we look up, eternal home, comfort, and then number six, we get strength. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 4.11. We serve with the strength that God supplies. We serve with the strength that God supplies. Today, uh, as I'm sharing with you for this Sunday message, I'm very tired. I've just had a whole lot uh, going on in my own personal world. And yet, today, you know, you put one foot in front of another and you serve with the strength that God supplies. M- maybe you remember this famous verse, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. They mount it with wings like eagles. They walk and they're not weary. They run and are not faint. It's interesting. Those who wait for the Lord renew The Hebrew says they exchange their strength. Those who wait for the Lord exchange their strength for God's strength. I came up with a list of 23 different places where the Bible promises strength. Psalm 18.1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 18.32, God equips me with strength. Psalm 46, 1, God is my refuge and strength. Psalm 59, 17, it just says, oh, my strength, I sing praises to you. 23 of them. 1 Timothy 1, 12, I thank God who has given me strength to do his work. 2 Timothy 4, 17, at the end of his life, as Paul is giving an account standing before Nero and all these different crazy things it was doing, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. I would encourage you, do a word study on strength like I did and look at all the different ways that that comes. And finally, what comes from being a person who sets their mind on the things above and not just on the things of the earth is security. I think one of the most painful things in life is insecurity. No one was more insecure than I was, I don't think, as a teenager. And I so craved approval. And uh, in, in one sense, I wanted to be left alone, lest somebody like really get on my case and hurt me. And on the other, I, I just wished I, I could, have, could have acceptance. You know, Luke 21, 28 Jesus says, after he describes the end times and the earth shaking and all kinds of different things happening, he then says these words, look up 
for your redemption draws near. Look up, for your redemption draws near. Oh, God wants to to give you help. I, I love the Toby Mac song that's on the radio now, Help is on the Way. I could sing it for you, Help is on the Way, but you'd probably run away. Security comes from above. You know, as a teenager, when I got saved, I'm 16, 17, and I just decided I was going to look to heaven. And I began to do several different things, but one I don't know that I've ever shared is I began to read my big black Bible in public in school. Big old Bible, 1971, 72, big old high school in Bel Air, Maryland. And the only person that ever hassled me was my psychology teacher who said, you can't read a Bible in in school. I said, well, sure I can. The class is not in. And then she looked at how I was underlining it. I was reading 1 John. She says, well, you can't underline some verses and say they're better than others. And just she just hassled me. But I would read it at the lunch table. I would read it during during breaks. And it was just amazing how not only did no one hassle me, but I became popular that year without trying. One of the places I think he booster security, there's so many of them, is to read the Psalms. If you read consecutively through the Psalms and Proverbs like I do, just, just over and over and over and over, security will build in you. These are the things that have happened in my life. These are the things that can happen in your life. My basic message is look up. Set your mind on the things that are above. Of course, you have to take care of your earthly business and and do all kinds of mundane things. But if you need answers or direction or destiny, the knowledge of, of a place after you pass away, comfort, strength, security, you can't get much better than those things that come from heaven because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're going to be so heavenly minded that you're totally good on earth. I love Acts 10, 38, which says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I want to take this minute to pray with and for you. Thank you, Lord, for these seven wonderful things that come from heaven. Lord, today I set my eyes above, not just on earthly things. I declare that my citizenship is in heaven. And the most precious thing I have, Lord, is you in heaven. My hope is in heaven. Teach me how to balance having my feet firmly on earth and also on eternity. Help me to mature to that place where I so enjoy you in life and I look forward to enjoying you in the next life. Fill me with your spirit. Make these things true in my life. In the great name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.